but sheep are stupid. So anyway, there we go. Today, really short uh, little parable as part of that uh, parable of the lost coin. But I tell you, I'll read it. Um, I'll read it from the beginning, um, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to stand and we're going to sing that, that kind of creedal song, This I Believe. When I was young, and, and I was really quite young, but I think it was between two and three, I used to have a teddy called Tatty Teddy. Okay, so you can imagine what it looked like. Apart from the fact that sometime between the ages of two and three, I lost Tatty Teddy. And um, probably some of my earliest memories, actually. Um, and I can still remember. Um, I was at my mother's for a few days earlier in the week. And she said, oh, dear. She said, you were so upset that your dad for a few nights had to, to lie next to you so that you would get to sleep. After three, one, two, three. There we go. <laughs> we have those memories, don't we, though, of childhood. Lost and found. Now, the key to understanding these, this parable or these parables is right at the beginning, verses 1 and 3. Uh, and, and the key is remembering who Jesus was speaking to. And uh, he was not speaking to the lost. He was not speaking to the lost sheep or the lost coin or the lost son. He was speaking to the Pharisees, the, the religious people, um, and now, in, in one sense, there, there is an irony here, um, because you could say Jesus is not speaking to those who are obviously lost, obviously lost, because actually, um, next week and the week after, we'll start to see that our definition of someone who is lost begins to change, because sometimes, it was interesting listening, you know, when Paddy was here, and Paddy gave a, an incredible testimony, and it, it is amazing how he came to Christ. You know, he was a, a really troubled childhood, um, doing drugs and everything. And in, in many ways, he was ostensibly lost, wasn't he? You, you look at him, and, and you, you see, wow, this, this person in, in so many ways is far from God. And yet, um, the Lord Jesus found him, and he came to know him, and his life turned around. So, there's the, you know, Paddy's a, an example of those who, who seem to be very lost, but but you see, Jesus, oh, it's slightly more ironic. 
Verse 7, you see the, the, the clue. He says, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Hmm. Except, of course, in Luke's gospel, again and again and again, Jesus says everyone needs to repent. So the issue here is, is whether... I feel I'm lost or not. And that was the problem. You see, the Pharisees didn't think they were lost at all. Um, All of us, Jesus says, are in the same boat. All of us have a complete dependence on God's grace and mercy. And, And that's the problem because sometimes we can be confused by morality, good lives, good works, and religion. And sometimes those things can hide the fact that actually... Without Christ, all are lost. And sometimes we, we can, those things can hide the fact that all are lost without Christ and all need to repent. And the problem with the Pharisees is that they didn't see their need. That was the problem, wasn't it? So they were in a, in a, in a situation where they were self-righteous and comfortable. I've said this before, the greatest danger is comfort without Christ. Comfort, comfortable in my own achievements, my own accomplishments, my own CV and record. Uh, Kate, a few years ago, um, had to find her passport. It was for some legal document. And she couldn't find it. So she basically, and she's very meticulous, she searched in her study and she just couldn't find it. And she realized that the day before, she'd been doing some massive clearing out. So she literally, uh, no word of a lie, it, the day before was going to be empty. She got the blue bin into my study, and, she, and it was full. And she went through the blue bin, tipped it all out on the floor, and guess what she found? Her passport. Now, fortunately... Um, it was the day before the blue bin had been emptied. Um, the, the danger is, is actually when we don't go searching. That would have been the danger. She meticulously went through the contents of the blue bin because she realized her passport was lost. The problem is when we don't realize that something is lost. You can imagine, don't you? If you're going away and you think, oh, I know where my passport is. I know where my passport is. And then at the last moment, you open the drawer and then suddenly you find, oh, it's not there. And it might be too late. It's the danger when you think that something is there, something is found, when actually it's lost. You can see who Jesus is speaking to here, can't you? Lost sheep, God's heart to the woefully stupid. Lost coin, God's heart to the wondrously valuable. And actually, these two little parables go together. Very short, very succinct. What do we know? Verse 8. First of all, the lady is poor. She's lost the equivalent of a day's wage for a laborer. So this is kind of subsistence living here. Okay, uh, the, the shepherd obviously had livestock and was therefore his wealth was tied up in the livestock. This woman didn't have a great deal. And yet, probably because she was so poor, this lost coin was of supreme importance to her. It was wondrously valuable. Again, remember, who, who's he talking to? He's, remember, he's talk, not talking to the lost. He's talking to the religious people. They, they don't see a need. They don't think they're lost. 
they think they're found. So what does she do? She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. It says she seeks diligently until she finds it. So time's involved there. Lights a lamp, sweeps the house, seeks diligently until she finds it. So time's involved. It didn't, it didn't um, happen straight away. This took effort, didn't it? This took effort. And sometimes when I... Okay, confession. This morning, I couldn't find my church keys. So Kate was still in bed. Dear, do you know where my keys are? Sigh. Um, and can I borrow your church key, please? I won't tell her, her your response. Anyway, so I got in with her. I didn't spend a lot of time looking, really. Um, and we do that sometimes. We don't, but this, this lady did. You can see this is the point, the teaching point here. There's a lot of investment in finding this lost coin. Um, I, I love this phrase from J.C. Ryle. Just as the shepherd did not sit still bewailing his lost sheep, just as the woman did not sit still bewailing her lost money, so Jesus did not sit still pitying sinners. Who's he speaking to? Those who are self-righteous. These religious people, they sat still and moaned, but they had a false confidence and a false comfort. And we see here in this little parable, God's heart for the lost. But by that I mean those who do not know Christ. And actually, throughout these parables, we see the danger of being lost. By the way, as a sidebar, our culture doesn't accept that some are lost. This is an alien concept, quite offensive to our culture. Our culture doesn't see the need for repentance. Effectively, we affirm people exactly who they are, how they are. But, but the gospel works on the basis that some are lost, that those who don't know Christ are lost and there is a need for repentance. The parables are based on the fact that the lost are lost and the lost need to repent. Now, again, the problem with the original hearers is that they didn't see themselves in that category. They just didn't, did they? They were on the, they just felt very comfortable, thank you very much. And um, in, in many ways, they were there looking at Jesus, spending time with tax collectors and sinners, and all they could do was grumble rather than realize that they, too, were just as in need of God's mercy. I've told you this story before, this story before. when I was a curate in Chester, the, the buses went. It was on the main route into Chester, and, and the vicar put this signboard up, you know, those wayside pulpits, big words, this church is for sinners only. Well, he got this knock on the door from this ex-major type who was deeply offended, deeply offended. This church is for sinners. Ooh. But, but that's the gospel. The gospel says all of us are in the same boat, no matter how we look on the outside. That's the danger, isn't it? So I'm, I might live a moral lifestyle, and, and that's great. That's really good. Um, I, I might do good things, and that's great. And I might be religious, and, and that might have some worth. But actually, in the end, I am in just as great need of God's grace and mercy, that then some sort of scally who's appearing in a, it, a Tameside magistrate court for crimes and misdemeanors. 
Because when it comes to it, all of us are in the same boat. We see in this parable, don't we, God's heart, Jesus' love, which is an active love. The woman went to search. It it took energy and effort, didn't it? It was a self-denying love. We saw that last week with the shepherd, but it was the case here. Sacrifice was involved. This was a deep and mighty love. And in the the same way, Jesus maybe says to us, do we have that active love, that self-denying love for those who don't know him? Sorry about this illustration, okay, but you'll get it. So when we were bright young things, um, Kate and myself um, used to go to this really big rock festival, okay? And tens of thousands would go there. Um, And in those days... When it came to toilet facilities, they used to dig big pits, okay? So you've got to imagine this, big pit, and then they boarded it over, and then you would go to the toilet, kind of suspended over this big pit, and okay, you've got the point. But you can imagine, with tens of thousands of people there, it, the pit kind of rose. And can you imagine August, August hot? Can you remember in the olden days, we used to have summer and uh, you can imagine the smell, okay? Have you got, got it? You've got it. Someone wrote on the door inside the cubicle, how valuable would something have to be that if you dropped it into the pit, you would go down to get it? Wow, that's philosophical, isn't it? Could you imagine that? How valuable would something have to be that if you dropped it into that, uh, you would go down to get it? Well, I know that some of you are thinking, I mean, I'm not too sure if I dropped a child down there, I would go and get it. Frankly, it had to be pretty valuable, wouldn't it? Or, well, our cats can stay there. The woman loses something wondrously valuable. And as a result, she turns everything upside down to find it. What did God do in Christ? John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see those marvelous verses in Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God in Christ comes and gets into the deepest, darkest, blackest pit. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. And he would move heaven and earth to find you and to find me. And he takes upon himself the blackness and the darkness of my sin. And he becomes God-forsaken because he wanted to find you and me. That is how much God loves me. And that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the gospel. And that's the gospel which those religious people couldn't see because they felt they had it all themselves. They were comfortable and confident in their own righteousness. But actually, all of us, all of us have the same need of God's grace mercy. I wonder whether as a church we share 
his sacrificial love, his active love. And you can see, can't you, how when a church starts to get shaped by, by this love, this love for those who do not know him, how that's going to change not just who we are, but what we do. Not just who we are, but what we do. So that we become a people who know him and make him known. When it comes um, to the gospel, there's a word um, in the Greek, euagelion. And that's where we get the word um, evangelism and evangelical. And the Church of England has always been at its strongest when it is held fast to evangelical um, truths and evangelical priorities. Um, uh, 39 articles, Fran knows the 39 articles. Um, those who used to come to church in the old days when they got bored, they used to read the 39 articles at the back of the prayer book. Those are evangelical priorities. A historian said there were four distinctives about evangelical churches. Number one, the Bible, its authority. Number two, the cross, its centrality. Number three, conversion, its priority. And then four, activism, its trajectory, activism. Can you see that when we look at this passage, God's love, getting God's heart and love for the outsider leads us to be active in a certain way. Can you see that? That we can't just sit like the Pharisees and grumble, which is, frankly, I don't need much as I get older. Grumbling is, is just part and parcel of, of, of what I'm becoming. And that's an easy thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, I have some nods there. But actually, unlike the Pharisees, we see God's heart for the lost and how that's going to lead us to a certain sort of activity. We get that sense of priority and trajectory as we go out too. And so as a church, we pray, Lord, fill us with your heart for the lost, your joy for those who repent, your love for those who don't know you. Send us out with those same sort of priorities. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you that you love us so much that you came to this earth and you descended into the darkest pit to find people who you loved. That your, the cross itself demonstrates your love. And I pray that as we rejoice in the grace and the undeserved mercy which we ourselves have experienced, we too may share that as we go out to a world in your name.